Welcome to Podtification, the show where three pastors sit around displaying their sharp wit and their occasionally sharp theology. We hope you enjoy. Now let's get on to the show. Well, welcome everybody. Welcome back to Podtification. Here we are. Um, I believe Sean's not here to count. I believe we're on episode eight now. Episode eight. So entering into the end of our second month of doing uh, uh, podtification um, together. So glad to have you guys back. Thank you for joining us. Um, You'll you'll notice if you're watching on YouTube, um, we have a guest with us uh, this morning. Same old Brent, same old Jesse. um, But over here we have Eric. Dr. Eric Hernandez is our guest this week. Eric, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be joining you guys. And and I think before we go on, uh, if you've listened to the prior podcasts, uh, I just want to assure Sean that I'm not trying to take his spot. So, (laughs) Well, Well, I'll be honest with you, Eric. That's not really up to you. Yeah. We'll let the listeners be the judge of that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We were joking about that, but really, by the end of that joke, Brent and I realized that depending on the popularity of, of the guests, they might take all of our spots. So. Yeah. There, there is a good uh, possibility that after three weeks of guests, they'll just ask for just guests. Just guests. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, which I, yeah, I fully suspect uh, that'll be the case. But Eric is joining us all the way from the, the faraway land of, uh, the DR, right? Uh, no, I wish. Uh, we are <laughs> from the uh, the far reaches of the universe here in Fairfax. Yeah, yeah. the DR via Fairfax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, My well, thank you, Eric. Middle of nowhere. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, really, really grateful that you kind of were willing, like you said, to kind of be the guinea pig uh, of stepping in and joining us in these conversations. Um, we started this podcast kind of kind of because uh, Brent and Sean and I oftentimes will get together and talk about um, issues of spirituality, faith, um, s- biblical issues, and we enjoy those conversations. And oftentimes we just, we feel like it's a good time having those conversations. Um, and so we kind of thought maybe, especially in this time where people aren't able to see each other as much, maybe we'd share some of those conversations uh, online uh, with people in our church, people who are just able to plug in online um, because we've enjoyed them so much. We thought, Hey, maybe one or two other people would enjoy them. Um, and that's been really fun. Um, but you, Eric, as somebody, we've had conversations like this with before too. And, and we thought it'd be fun to kind of get you plugged in also. And, and just kind of, so welcome to the show and, uh, Brent, it's okay to have you here too. Thank you. Good to be I here. I don't hate it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I think most of our conversations have taken place at the uh, hospital cafeteria, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, we've had some, we've solved a lot of the world's problems on my lunch break at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And your lunch minutes, break, your lunch take. break, your lunch break from teaching. So, yeah. 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 Only to go right back to work and cause a whole bunch more problems. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, um, we typically start this podcast off by just kind of sharing some personal updates for the week. Kind of, you know, the, the question is, what's big in your life this week? Um, and uh, I, I find that oftentimes, especially especially when you're hanging out with coworkers um, or you have something you want to discuss, you can kind of miss some of the big personal things that are going on in people's lives. Um, and so I kind of like just just kind of a you know uh, 
what whatever is interesting you, whatever's like going on in your life that's that's fascinating, it's taking up your time or your um, thoughts. I'm curious about that, guys. So, Brent, let's start with you, man. What's what's big in your life this week? I mean, my life has been pretty mundane, um, mm. uh, which is kind of the way that I like it. Um, uh, so kind of back to work after did the quarantine for a week and, uh, back to normal as far in, in the, in my job at the hospital, um, it's starting to become normal again in that the amount of patients we're seeing, where we see the patients, that sort of thing. So the big thing in my life is it really feels like it felt back in February a little bit. So, uh, which is a good thing. It feels a little bit more normal at work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're kind of a habit kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like established patterns and stuff. Yeah. Same foods, same uh, places I like to go. So like, uh, like, for example, I, this, this, uh, this is um, true, but I, I usually have my quiet time in my car reading my Bible every day before I go into work. So when I was on quarantine, I would still go out to my car and sit in my car <laughs> to have my quiet time and then go back inside because it didn't feel right to have my quiet time inside my house because that's what I do every day. So, yeah, that's a little messed up, but true. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I, I mean, there's a seat for Jesus right there. That's right. That's right. Is, <laughs> isn't that a country song? Jesus take the wheel. Yeah. Do you have yeah. one of those stickers that says, uh, Jesus is my co-pilot? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but a funny story. My brother <laughs> drove a train. He was a train engineer. Before he was a Christian, he actually had an accident where a woman tried to cross the tracks. And he, the woman, you know, uh, was hit by the train. So he stopped the train, ran back to see if she was okay. And fortunately, she was okay. And he was like, ma'am, are you okay? And she said, yes. He said, well, so anybody with you? Because the car was kind of, you know, bent up, if you will. And she goes, nobody but Jesus. And my brother said, my first response was, well, I bet he's not dumb enough to ride with you again. And so, uh, <laughs> so I think of that story whenever I uh, think about Jesus being in the car with me. Jesus taking the wheel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, I mean, you kind of bring up an interesting point about, about like habitually going to the same place for, for quiet time. And I think there's something kind of deeply spiritual about that. But before we get into kind of the spiritual thing, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about um, or, or curious uh, about um, if, if you had no exterior influence, i.e. your wife, like making you form new habits, maybe go to like different restaurants or stuff like that. Do you feel like at this point you would like have worn a rut in various areas of your life, like walk the same path through the living room, drove the same exact way to work, yeah. drive, ride in the same car, like for the last 40 years or whatever? I think I would probably A, still live in my hometown. Uh, B, when it comes to raising my children, um, I say this almost without any exaggeration. Even though Caitlin's 21, she would still be in onesies and drinking formula because that transition out of diapers and that transition into them feeding themselves, I couldn't have done without my wife. And so it was too much change. So I'm actually curious, uh, Eric, to hear what you have to say about this. 
I 100% agree. This is completely off topic, but the transition out of diapers mm. would not have happened for any of my kids either without Zoe. Cause like there was like that brave, like, well, okay, we're going to go without it. And I, every time that happened with all three of my kids, I was like, Oh, it's not time yet. You know, I'm not ready. I don't want to deal with it. But yeah, without no. with Zoe, you know, it was like, Oh no, we're doing this. Well, I've never checked, so I don't know. They might. Still <laughs> as far as you know, they still. Not. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what they're doing right now. <laughs> I can't even remember how many we have. Honestly, I don't know. I think I have two, but. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. Well, all right, Brent. Well, I'm glad that your life is is settled back into uh, the routine. Um, happy for you. We've talked several times about, and I think actually this is a conversation that based on what you talked with Eric about, about, um, new habits, doing, doing, doing old things in new ways as a way that you keep your body or your mind young. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure that actually came from a conversation we had with Eric. Um, but I think that's a, that's, that's something actually that's crossed my mind a couple of times that, that, you know, in my life, things that I do the same way every time, like typically, I think one of the examples you and I have talked about is like the way you dry yourself off when you get out of the shower is oftentimes the same pattern mm-hmm. um, or the way you brush your teeth is almost always in the same pattern and stuff like that. Uh, and the way like adjust, adjusting things that you constantly, you do the same way in life. It kind of helps you kind of stay young somehow mentally. So um, since you don't do that, that could be why you're aging so fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but true. true. Yeah. <laughs> all right well uh thank you brent um eric what about you man what's 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 big in your life this week well um let's see i don't even remember i'm kind of losing track of time with this uh, (laughs) quarantine so i mean like last week it's like sounds like christmas or something (laughs) um well i you know i uh as you know if you are if you're in Facebook and you are friends with me, I, I built a deck. Uh, hey. Something that I, we had this uh, really old sort of decrepit kind of porch. It was falling <laughs> apart in various ways, but it never really fall apart. And so we're like, we keep thinking, what are we going to do with it? Should we repair it? Should we take it down? But then if we take it down, how am I not going to take it down and take <laughs> half the house with it? You know. Um, this sort of thing. Uh, so finally, I think with the uh, with the time off here, being at home, I decided, you know, I'm gonna go for it. And yeah, we finally did it. So uh, actually, we is, is a lot of people. I did it. Uh, most most <laughs> sort of watched me from a distance, wondering what was actually gonna happen. Um, but, she changed yeah, the so diapers. We, you built the deck. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So we we took I took it down. Um, and I think you both saw it. It was pretty, pretty, oh man, pretty bad condition. At, the, at well, one point, I think we put some like of that yellow strip that says like danger and stuff around it. So let me interrupt you here for a second. Cause I, I want to get to the, like the new, but when you're yeah. still talking about tearing down the old, yeah. um, you sent me, I don't know, maybe you sent this to uh, several other people as well. You sent the video of you pulling down this structure. That's right. So, um, and it wasn't just a deck. It was a deck. It was like a three seasons porch kind of thing. Yeah, it was a deck yeah. and a roof. Yeah. And, and you sent this picture, this video of you pulling the roof down. Yes, man. So we, we started taking things apart 
and you know you start to, you know at some point you expect that the 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 roof was gonna just collapse uh, <laughs> magically i'm violating all the the <laughs> rules of gravity and physics and engineering that thing was still up and then finally when we finally got it down it still didn't fall off the edge and so what i did is we wrapped it around with a few ropes i connected it to the hitch in our SUV and we just pulled it, just pulled yeah. it down. That was the funnest part of that project. And there is a video of that. Yeah, I love it. That's so yeah. great. That was great. Well, now we have a nice new deck. And so um, we didn't, we didn't, we decided not to do the redo the three season porch and just do a summer deck. So, so uh, for those who don't know, Eric uh, teaches in engineering right yep structural engineering. structural engineering specifically this project yeah has 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 the way you will approach teaching in the future been changed by your like face-to-face -face interaction with with building uh no not not really i i mean i had sort of worked as a real engineer before so i'm familiar <laughs> with with <laughs> you know with building and and all of that but i i did uh i did become a little more confident in the safety factors of structures that are mm. like hidden safety factors you know you see something and you think it's about to fall and it's not i mean it's, sometimes <laughs> these things find very clever ways to to stay standing so mm. uh, for some I, reason i i imagine you lecturing your wife and kids as you're taking this down, like, like giving them engineering principles, did that really happen? For like 15 seconds, yes. And then they, they all dispersed, and that was it. That was the quickest lecture I've ever given. <laughs> I one of my favorite pictures. I, I I'm not sure if you took it or if Corinne took it, but it's the picture of the new deck right after you had laid all the the uh, decking planks down. Yeah. Um, and I think there's Corinne, maybe you're in it. I can't remember. And there's, there's Jack. And then kind of in the background, you can kind of make out Eric Jr. Who's sitting yeah. there like yep. hunched over his phone you know, right. in the middle but, of his yard. He's just yeah. sitting there. like <laughs> I, He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was there, but only kind of physically. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, actually, you know, he, he pulled a few things, you know, like a couple of times I needed the muscle and, you know, he, he, um, he, he did the job, but let's say that, you know, I did 98% of it. <laughs> Good, well, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's awesome. I'm excited to go out there at some point and, yeah. and sit on it have and a jump summer. up and down on it and stuff. Yeah. Not too hard, not too hard. <laughs> not too hard. <laughs> Well, um, this week actually is kind of a follow-up for me of what's, what's big. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned to you, to you guys um, that I've been enjoying what I, what I guess I had considered to be kind of older person hobbies um, or just pastimes. And specifically, I've really been getting into watching the birds outside of our window, which is kind of a new thing, but I had never done that. Never in my life had I even imagined being interested in that. But like, I've been really excited about watching like all the birds come and eat. Um, and, like I've been putting bird feeders out of them. I've been watching them and I've, you know, been 
kind of keeping track of how many different kinds of birds we have and stuff. And um, I realized that that's like my new sports, right? That's like my new, like, there's no sports on. So I'm watching that. I'm watching the birds eat um, in our, our bird feeders. That's a little, um, sorry. <laughs> that's a little sad. It yeah. Is <laughs> no, you're, you're 100%. I'm not, I'm not arguing with that at all. You know, I, I just think it's like, that's where we where are right I, now. Where, right. <laughs> exactly. Where I might've been wanting to watch baseball or something, you know, here I am watching the birds eat. <laughs> but I'm not even know, like, chess I, might become popular again. Yeah, you that's know? Right. <laughs> you're totally right. Well, okay. So what I had thought is it's, that's kind of like, like, I feel like that's kind of like a retired person kind of pastime. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just wouldn't have thought that I would have been there in my stage of life right now. Um, but I've discovered another, what I think is maybe typically an older person pastime that I'm super excited about. And that is this game pickleball. I don't know if, have you guys heard of pickleball? I'd never heard of it until you mentioned it last week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been, I've been playing this game. Um, now for a couple weeks and I'm like all in, I'm, I'm loving this game. I had heard about it somewhere. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to try it out. Um, and, um, and so I like bought a little set of pickleball, like you play on pat with paddles and you play with like a, almost like a wiffle ball. Um, and, uh, and you play it on like a half size tennis court. So it's basically like, like jumbo size ping pong. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I went out there with, uh, some of the guys from church a couple weeks ago and we started playing and, and, um, it is so much fun. Um, but if you ever look it up online, it's definitely like kind of a senior citizen dominated game, <laughs> but that's where I am right now in life. So, uh, I'm, I'm fixing to make some, fun with some, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm putting my rocking chair out on our front porch to that's complain right. about kids in our yard. So. <laughs> But I've been really loving pickleball, so I, I'm I'm excited, hoping to hoping to go play that some more this week, and I've just been loving it. So, um, you know, it, it, this thing about sports, it's a really I think it's kind of getting to the point where I mean, I'm thank God baseball I think is about to start. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly, in, you know, under what circumstances or how it's gonna really look. And I heard you can't spit, you can't do, you know, there's. Actually, my youngest son, Jack, he, he really likes baseball. But he decided he didn't want to play this year on Little Leagues because they say they couldn't do the, um, the seeds. They couldn't, oh. they, they couldn't spit, uh, spit uh, seeds. And so he's like, I'm not playing baseball if we can't <laughs> spit seeds. No, I couldn't make him go. He's like, I'm not doing it. And then uh, you can't be in the dugouts. So he's like, you can't be in the dugouts. You can't use seeds. What's the point? You know, <laughs> why even bother? Yeah. <laughs> so he, he doesn't want to do that. But um, this, I, I saw something on ESPN where I think like prime time, they were broadcasting like a um, cornhole championship or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, this has to stop. We have to do this somehow. Well, I think, I honestly think that um, it would not surprise me at all I mean, if, if, if pickleball takes off and becomes like a big sport. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I think, I think mm -hmm. that's probably going to happen. But I think a lot of these other sports that are kind of getting some, some airtime, I'm yeah. kind of wondering if it's going to last, like, like cornhole. 
Um, well, I watched I, I watched disc golf and that was on CBS. Which yeah, imagine that. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine that's going to repeat. <laughs> apparently, there is something called the NCA, the National Cornhole Association, and there is like a commissioner. <laughs> like, what is oh. this? Are you kidding me? Well, if I hurt the feelings of our our cornhole player watchers, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something for everybody. Yeah, that's a game. I yeah. Between pickleball and cornhole, those are very strangely named games. Can you spit seeds in cornhole, or are they probably outlawed that? There's <laughs> spitting. Spitting is done. I feel like in that. cornhole, you must be. It's like required, don't you think? A game called cornhole, don't you think you have to spit? I mean, I I go back to that point, Jesse. You're like these are really oddly named games, like pickleball. Like yeah. Does a ball kind of ball look like a pickle or like like what's the you know it just doesn't doesn't seem to make sense cornhole that's I don't know I mean these holes I they're pretty big they're are the like, are the bags full of corn is that why I'm not sure yeah you certainly wouldn't be throwing corn at the holes I mean they wouldn't <laughs> really be able to go in there so I'm, I'm not sure yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, cornhole sounds like, I feel like I shouldn't be saying it. It sounds a little bit like, like kind of impolite. Yeah. You're yeah. cornhole? Like you're yeah. calling someone a name? Like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, if I called somebody that, they, I feel like that would be mean, right? Yeah. Rather than a compliment. Yeah. yeah. Very strange. Yeah. I guess when, yeah, someone's already taken baseball or, yeah, I don't know, racquetball's already taken. What else are you going to say? <laughs> running out of options running out of options might as well use pickles <laughs> that's, that's the next option down rackets yeah. no okay well then it's pickles, pickles that's it. <laughs> all right just... well speaking speaking of sports i'm going to move us along into the next category the next thing i i really i, I actually hot hot topic i want to talk to you guys about which is face masks and i know I know there's kind of a lot of like controversy going on. I don't know controversy, but disagreement going on about you know should you wear them, should you not? Is it is it more a, a polite or is it safe? What's what's the deal here? I don't really want to get into that. Um, but what I do want to get into is something that I saw this morning. I went back to the gym um, for the first time in a long time today, um, and for a long time it was closed, and then for a long time it was kind of open for a couple of weeks, and I just wasn't really comfortable going back. But finally, you know. I decided, okay, I got to get back. I'm tired of these little crack sprints making about my weight. So I need to just start taking the charge of it. Um, so I go back and as I'm going in, I receive this sign that says, you know, you need to stay six feet apart and masks are you're required to wear a mask at all times while you're in the gym. Okay. All time. I, I interpret that. I know what that means. Re wearing a mask. Like I know what that means. But I saw a couple different iterations, and I want you guys to just just give me your opinion on it, okay? So when I when I hear wear a mask, this is what it means to me, right? That's what it's supposed to look like, okay? I agree. Okay. Now I saw some people doing this number, <laughs> which I guess technically you're, you're still wearing, wearing a mask, yeah, but just not in the correct way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my other, the other one I saw was this one, which, which you actually see a lot, right? I actually feel like I see this more often than I would have expected. 
the nose still exposed. For people do it with the nose. I'm sorry, yeah, if you're not watching on video. So yeah. the first one I saw was just people wearing it kind of under their chin, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, which obviously that's not really, other than kind of a cool fashion statement, that's not really doing anything. The next one is like over the mouth, but the nose is exposed, hmm. which I thought when I first saw it, I thought, well, that's kind of, that's kind of defeating the purpose. But then I thought maybe it's not. If the purpose is micro droplets, which is what they say, does, does leaving the nose open, does that really, does that really, I mean, is that still working? Is it all, is it only from your mouth or is it also from your nose? Uh, weigh in on this. I, I can, if I weigh in, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this as a pastor or as a, a medical professional. Answer um, it as a medical professional, please, because okay, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was, well, I was just thinking to your point of people wearing it under their chin okay. and it just says mask required. It reminded me of Annika, my youngest, who I'll never forget this. We were crossing the street and she was, she, I said, you know, the rule is you have to hold a hand when you cross the street when she was young. Uh -huh. And so she said, okay. And she literally took her hand and with her other hand, grabbed her hand <laughs> and ran solved. across the street. <laughs> right. And so she was, took me very literal. So I yeah. think we have to maybe be very literal for some people. Um, you must wear a mask this way. Yeah. Over your nose and mouth. I yeah, think should, right. should be the, the way to solve the problem. So yeah. that's, that's my medical opinion. No, I think it was a fair, I mean, I think honestly it was fair because the sign just said you must wear a mask and it really, honestly, it said nothing about wear. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. there you go. It could have had it on your arm for all, for all you know, you know. I've yeah. seen some people wear like costume masks because it just says wear a mask. So they wear like a Batman mask or something like that. Just a Batman mask over your yeah, eyes. Like I'm wearing a mask. It's just like, you know. Well, that's it. And they are now they make masks also where they make it look natural like you're not wearing a mask. Have you seen those? Oh. So it, it, so oh, it was like a picture of yourself? A picture of your face yeah. of you wearing a mask. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, interesting. So, yeah. But but I genuinely am curious about this. I really am. Like it, 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 revealing the nose. I just, I, I'm just curious because when I saw that, I thought, well, that's really... Like that's that's not accomplishing the purpose. I mean, you might as well just not be wearing it. And then I thought, well, maybe it maybe it doesn't. Maybe it maybe it does because if the problem is like out of your mouth, then then maybe it's doing its job. I don't know. Well, um, I would say if you only breathe through your mouth, which no one does, <laughs> then sure it's doing its job. Otherwise, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was at the gym, so I really was only breathing out of my mouth. So. <laughs> <laughs> what I've heard also is that apparently, if you're doing uh, physical activity and you have the mask over your mouth and nose, you could, um, you could end up like having a worse effect because now you're breathing your own, uh, carbon dioxide. And then, you know, it's like you you could end up having some really adverse health effect because of that. Yeah. Which could be, you know, depending where you are. I mean, if you're if you're by yourself walking on a park and there is nobody around and you put the mask over your mouth and nose, you kind of begin to wonder, you know, I'm kind of taking more risk by doing this than not having the mask. 
Yeah, again, I, I, I can- It's a question I, of I, risk, you know. Yeah, I don't think the studies, I don't, I haven't read any studies as far as like when you're physically exercising, but to just normal, they, they say that's not a risk, the, the studies they've done so far, but- um, Nor, And what do you mean, what, uh, what's not As far a risk? as like changing your carbon dioxide and oxygen levels. It's, oh, it, okay, it, it it's not, not, not a risk. It okay. does not. Well, that's good Well, I can know. tell you from, yeah. from my own perspective of like, um, when when I exercise, I have to breathe really really hard because I don't exercise that much. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I saw like wear a mask, I was like, well, I'm not going to do any cardio in here because I'm pretty sure I'm already like right on the edge of passing out when I can breathe normally, you know. So there's no way mm -hmm. I'm going to get on a treadmill with a mask on unless I can wear it like this, which yeah. is both stylish and functional, you know. Like yeah, it protects your style. brain that way from That's like right. bad ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have to wear sunscreen like this. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's literal. It's literal. Yeah, that's right. Wearing a mask. I, I yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Well, I, I was really interested in that. It just made me think about different ways that you could technically wear a mask, but you know, get around the letter of the law. But you re might really want to make sure that you're very clear about how, what your expectations are when you say you have to wear a mask, because uh, people are creative. So, well, um, I, I appreciate that, guys. I think like. I mean, it is kind of like kind of a hot button issue. And I know like people have some really strong opinions about that. But mostly what I thought, you know, when I walked in there was just honestly, the thing that got me just chuckling was was the guy who had it around his chin. And I just thought, and that is like, that's such a just kind of passive aggressive way of like, yeah, I'm going to wear it. But I, I clearly don't want to do what you guys want me to do. And I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> he was just he was over there, you know, doing his lifting and stuff like that with that thing uh, strapped around his chin. I thought that was really funny. Um, so uh, let, let's move along unless you guys have other things to say. Um, uh, we typically, when we when we get together, uh, we share some time talking about um, an article that that one of us might have read over the the last couple of weeks. Something that we found kind of to be interesting or worth discussing. Um, and and almost always, uh, at least I think a hundred percent of the time up to this point, those articles have kind of been kind of discussions about about a faith journey, about how our Christian beliefs interact with with life and with with family and 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 everything and just kind of how um how our christian beliefs interact with church life and church culture um and and i think those have been some really kind of spurred some really fascinating discussions the, the discussion we're going to have today is actually um a little bit of a change of gear um it's it's a, a publication out of psychology today um, and uh, it's written by a guy named uh, Jeremy Sherman. Um, and uh, let's see, I'm going to pull it up here. Once you know, we'll I, forgot, have... I forgot to look. Uh, the author, does he, do you have his credentials? Does he mention his credentials? Oh, forgive me. Yes, he was very clear about this. So I should make sure that I, that I say them. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Sherman, PhD. Yep. And then MPP, which I imagine is some kind of psychology um degree but i don't know what mpp is mental something practitioner mental i don't know so he's, he has his p he has his phd though okay M masculine um people nope uh, let's not go there uh magnificently popular person could be could be yeah. 
Yeah. I think that sounds good. I might start just putting them like letters after my name and just have people try to puzzle it out. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he writes, writes this out of, uh, um, it's a, in psychology today posted just recently in, uh, the, near the end of June. Um, and once again, I'll read kind of the title and kind of go through some, some of the points here and, uh, and interact with you guys, ask you guys some questions about some of the stuff here. Um, but we'll have the whole article uh, posted if we can on um, the description of the video and of the podcast. Um, the title is uh, the anti-scientific faith method could get us all killed. And I'll read here just kind of one of the first sentences, which kind of gives us a little bit of a setting of the stage. He says, you use, he says, you use the scientific method every time you try to get realistic about anything, about how to find or process with a, par a partner, how to make your career work, or just to get better at whatever. Um, and to me, like that first sentence right there is kind of like, okay, we know where he's going. Just I'll, I'll read it again just so you can hear it. You use the scientific method every time you try to get realistic about anything. Um, I, I think, we okay, I, I know where he's going now with this realistic about anything the scientific method is what you use when you try to get realistic about anything um let's talk about this first um just in case um we're not all on the same page i'd like to hear you guys because he doesn't really necessarily define it in very clear terms what is the scientific method let's defer to the engineer in the room yeah uh, I, I was uh, hoping uh, <laughs> let's defer let's defer to the phd uh in the room here um, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Hernandez, would you like to do that? Take the honor? Sure, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> not necessarily di dictionary definition, you know, but no, no, working I'll, I'll, definition. I'll, I'll tee off first. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so basically the scientific method started uh, with Galileo, it, it, you know, and when basically before that, most things were decided on the basis of whether this argument or this statement or something should be right or it sounds right or it mm. comes from the right source or maybe we have believed it for a long time and all of that and uh, before Galileo there were people thinking in terms of you know observations and and making sure things uh, coincided with what you can see and what you can sense. But really after Galileo was a turning point where um, as a society, we started thinking we are gonna believe whatever explanation seems to be more consistent with the facts than that we can observe. And so you basically begin with a hypothesis and you say, you know, whatever your hypothesis may be, and then you collect data around the world, around, you know, in a laboratory, in the streets, in the universe, wherever that hypothesis may be taking place. And then you determine if the data supports the hypothesis or it uh, falsifies the hypothesis, basically meaning that it, the data makes it not be true. So mm -hmm. if let's say if your hypothesis is that when you throw something up, it never comes down, well, then you start throwing things up and see what happens. If they all seem to be coming down, then you say, well, the data doesn't support the hypothesis. <clears throat> things just keep going up when you throw them up. They come down. 
And so then after that, the scientific method says we have to find uh, an explanation for why this happens that doesn't violate the facts that we can observe. And uh, it's, it's very powerful because it leads you away from your preconceived bias of what something should be mm. because it has to coincide with the facts. Uh, now, there are obviously always gray areas in terms of like what is a fact or are you like only picking the facts that make your hypothesis appear true? And I think the author talks a little bit about that confirmation bias and all of yeah. these things. And, and so in, in, in like in hard sciences, like physics, chemistry, and this, you know, engineering, the facts are relatively easy to gather, but then you start to apply the scientific method to other areas where things are a little more gray and and you know sometimes that can be challenging mm. but basically in a nutshell that's how i would explain the the scientific method anything you would add to that brent um as far as the definition of the scientific method no um as far as the article you know, <laughs> yeah we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep we'll keep digging through the article okay, okay. Um, I, I do think, I mean, I think it's a really important, um, it's an important point that it is, is not just used for like, uh, the scientific method is, is a method of, ob of observation of, of proving hypothesis or disproving it. It's not like a, like a, um, I think, I think the, there can be word confusion there for people sometimes with uh, the idea of science and the scientific method. It doesn't just, it doesn't just mean for one area of science. Um, it's more just a process through which you put some, some hypothesis, right? Um, a yeah. process of observation. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, he kind of makes this point. I think it's, 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 it's a good, a good thing to remember you use, I think he says, you use the scientific method when you try to unsnag your sweater. You know, like, if I pull this way, is it gonna work? And you see, no, that doesn't work. Okay, now I need to reevaluate it. And it's kind of a split second decision, um, right? But it's, it's that kind of process where you see something and clearly that's not working, so you try something different. Um, yeah. It's a little bit of a, like a micro example, but I think it's a, it's a good point that there's, um, it's not really this, this mysterious formula as much as it is uh, holding things kind of with an open hand and saying like, I think this is true. Let me observe whether there's, whether there's data that uh, corroborates that or not. Yeah. Um, I think that, it, but you know, we, we also have to keep in mind that um, the scientific method, it's not an, encompassing solution for every single inquiry that you may have. Mm. Uh, I was thinking about this last night and I, so there is a very simple example we can think of where the scientific method is completely useless. And it's if you're trying to prove that something is impossible. Because yeah. if it's impossible, it never happens, which means you never have any data about it. So you cannot verify or unverify that with data because absolutely you'll never see it so yeah. how do you how do you use the scientific method to prove that something is absolutely impossible that's you know so there are other examples like that where you know it's it's not necessarily a silver bullet 
for every question that you may have. Um, you, you know, you, the scientific method is really built for situations where data, data are, is clear mm. and, and, and you can sort of reproduce or control or observe something that happens somewhat regularly or under control conditions. You know, that's sort of like the golden situation where you could apply the scientific method. Once you start getting away from that, it starts getting a little bit less clear. Let's, let's move forward. I like, I like what you said. I think it's a good segue into this next part here. He says, um, the scientific method is lifelong learning. Again, just to remind you of the title of this article, the anti-scientific faith, faith method, in quotes, could get us all killed, um, is the title of the article. So then just continuing on here. The scientific method is lifelong learning, a permanent enrollment in the school of hard knocks, where no la there are no last words ever, no final solutions, no ultimate graduation to absolute certainty. It's guesswork and remains guesswork. It's probabilistic and not fundamentalist. Every scientific theory remains subject to reality checks. If a more realistic theory comes along, the old theory is then replaced. Every idea in science is held tentatively to be beaten by a better idea should one come along. I included this just to kind of share with you what he's kind of projecting as the scientific method, as, as kind of he's defining it more kind of as a psychologist, I would say. Um, <clears throat> the alternative, he writes, is the faith method, also called revelation. You discover supposedly higher truths revealed to your intuition, which you pretend somehow is totally unbiased. You embrace revealed insights because they fill you with confidence in your last word theory and your last word authority. So a lot there. Um, but first, I, I'm just curious to you guys. Um, he kind of creates this um, or suggests this kind of um, dualistic kind of you have two options. There's the scientific method and then there's this faith method. Uh, I would just curious, do you agree with, with this idea that these two conclusions or these two methods are completely opposite? that they're diametrically opposed, that, that they don't interact with the other. You can choose one or you can choose the other. I'm, I'm curious about your guys' take on that. Well, I, I think you're, you're um, baiting us to, uh, for our answer a little bit, I think. Uh, I think that's a false dichotomy, if that's what you're, you're getting at. And I'll let, I'll let Eric elaborate on why it's a little bit of a false dichotomy, because I think he'll, he'll answer that part better than me. But just going back to the title, I'm kind of burning to say this. Um, and the reason I asked what his background was, so I'm assuming his PhD is in psychology. I think that's a safe assumption, right, for psychology today. I looked it up. Uh, the MPP is a master's in public policy. So smart guy, very smart guy. But I think just the premise of his title, um, say say the title again, is, is uh, anti Say that one more The anti-scientific faith method could get us all killed. Okay. And so in his field, psychology, um, uh, I'm just, you know, I, I say this respectfully, but seriously, and it's a bit, it's a bit cynical. Um, uh, if you look at the suicide rate in the past, you know, 70 years, not all the way, not always, but many times suicide is going up. Um, there's an epidemic of depression, uh, there's an epidemic of anxiety. We can argue about whether it's just was under reporting years ago or more, more reporting now, especially in developed countries. 
But literally, now that we've gone against faith, literally, I think there's more death uh, than there was with, I don't see the scientific method, just being honest, I don't see the scientific method making a bunch of big breakthroughs in psychology. I mean, we have like cognitive behavioral therapy, we have some things that have been that have helped things like depression and anxiety. Most of the breakthroughs have been in medicine, not in psychology, like medications that treat, you know, neurotransmitters, those sort of things. So I was just thinking of the irony of his title that literally, I think more people have died because of anti-faith than of anti-science in the field of psychology. So that's my sort of cynical initial response. So. To what question? To the, <laughs> to, to the anti-faith. Is, is that getting us killed? No, I, I don't see it getting us killed. I see, I see anti-faith getting us, not anti-science getting us killed, but anti-faith getting us killed. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. No, well, I, I certainly, I mean, I certainly would agree with that. Um, I, actually, I think we are going to, I think we are going to get to that at the end of this, at the end of this article, because I, because I think ultimately, um, where, where he goes is to kind of put hope in the science, like kind of a, a, almost, almost a theological hope in the scientific method, right? Exactly. Hope for the future. And I think, I mean, that, to me, that argument kind of falls on its face, but, uh, but I'd like to kind of, I'd like to kind of step into that. And, and the first part is, is with the separation, which I think is a really, I mean, I agree it's a false dichotomy, but I'd like to talk about it a little bit because I think in, in kind of just popular conversation, almost it's just an assumed thing. And he just assumes it here um, that, that this is, this is the delineation. You are either in this camp or you're in this camp. You're either in the, the, the science-y kind of thinking camp, which is how he puts it, or, or you're in the faith kind of trusty kind of uh, naive camp. Um, wow. so, so to me, I think it is, it is maybe, you know, a pretty obvious answer, but I think it's actually not really that obvious to a lot of people when we talk about this kind of thing. Um, I, th I, think if, I think it's not so much, um, I think there is a dichotomy, but I don't think it's the one that he is expressing or he's trying to express. I think it's not so much about people of faith and people of science. I think the opposite to the scientific method is not faith. But the opposite to the scientific method is stubbornness in the face of facts. Yeah. So if, if you follow the scientific method and, and, and you say, you know, if we do this, this should happen, and you do it and it doesn't happen, the scientific method says you have to revise your thinking about that because you did it and it didn't happen. So as a matter of fact, one of the basic the cornerstone of the scientific method uh, is something called Bayes' theorem, which was initially developed by a priest uh, called Thomas Bayes. And it basically, it tells you exactly how you should change your mind based on evidence. And if you look up Bayes' theorem, you will find it in every, almost in every field of scientific inquiry, people are using Bayes' theorem to to process data and 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 you know and, and analyze data and and come up with better hypotheses and all of that so i don't think it's so much faith and science but it's more 
humbleness in terms of changing your opinion when you clearly see that the facts are against what your hypothesis is. And on the other hand, people that are stubborn against the facts, you know, you, you keep banging your head against the same rock and nothing happens. So, you know, and, and there are people that are scientific that have that approach. And there are people that are of faith that also have that approach. And there are people of faith that change some of their points of view when the data changes or when they have more information. And there are people in science that do the same. I, I think, I mean, this is why we have fields like, uh, you know, biblical archaeology or mm. other things like that, where people dig up and they see what they find. And, and based on what they find, they can, you know, get better hypotheses about maybe something that was in the Bible that maybe wasn't completely clear or something like that. The um, irony, I, the irony you know. to what you're saying, I think kind of goes kind of circles back around to what Brent was, was suggesting, um, which, which, you know, uh, observe in your own field, um, the, um, the lack of help, um, a post, yeah. a post faith world has been to people's psychological state. <laughs> um, and if you're not able to observe that, then you're being anti the scientific method, you, right? You, I mean, exactly. Because yeah. you're not updating your belief based on what you see. I mean, yeah. and we, we do, but as I said, you know, in some fields, it, that's a little easier because the, the facts are a little harder, like, you know, in structural engineering, you know, something either breaks or doesn't break, you know, but in, it, you know, in psychology, <laughs> the I guess deck either falls over more. or it doesn't. Yeah. The yeah. deck either falls or it doesn't fall. Exactly. You know, as a matter of fact, this is a great example. As I was demolishing <laughs> that deck, I was updating my belief on how strong <laughs> this thing was. And actually, by the end of when I demolished the whole thing, I thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't have demolished it. This thing was, <laughs> it was sturdy pretty- after all, as I think. <laughs> uh, uh, give me a little time out here. I have to turn on a light. Uh, sure. Um, well, to um, uh, to just to add to my uh, to my cynicism, I would to to, to maybe uh, balance my cynicism. I should say. I, I do think his definition of faith is different than mine, and I want to give him some respect there. I mean, to me, his definition of faith was more like intuition or yeah. an, epith- an epiphany, which I would actually share his concern uh, that, you know, that faith and faith kind of thing, um, I, I would share his concern. That's not, uh, that's defying reality and defying common sense. Um, obviously, I'm biased, but I think the Christian faith has something that's grounded and something that shows evidence for it. It's not mm. not to use the term that he uses several times in his article, blind faith. There's evidence for it. Um, and so I would balance my cynicism by saying my, my definition of faith and his defi- definition of faith are different. And so to his credit, if he uses faith as pure, in, uh, pure intu- intuition or pure epiphanies, I would share his concern that it's it's uh, dangerous in some ways. Let me let me let me help. Just read what he says about faith because I think you yeah. bring a really good point to the table, Brent. Um, and I'll just I'll just read what he said. I have it highlighted here because um, okay. I had the same I had the same thought. I was like, I think he's um, he's using a word in a way that I I think is it is popularly used, 
but not necessarily in the way that I think um, uh, mindful Christians use it. Um, so let me, let me read his paragraph yep. here, Defining Faith, which he says, with the faith method, you have epiphany, breakthrough, or insight that felt so huge that you assume it's the last one you'll ever need. No further evidence worth visiting ever. The truth was revealed to you, and from now on, you've got the last word, the last word truth, and you are the last word on truth. Your truth, whatever it is that was revealed to you, gives you absolute authority to know what's true. And everything has to conform to your truth. You might still study, but the only reasons why, um, but oh, I'm sorry, you might still study, but only the reasons why you're already right. <laughs> um, and actually, so, so that's kind of the way that he kind of broadly defines faith, like faith experience and how you know things based on faith. Um, and I guess I would, I would, my question based on that is kind of like, how does that, how do we interact with that definition as Christians? Um, you know, me personally, I think Brent, you were kind of referencing it. Um, I, I don't think that's a fair definition of what I call my, my faith in God. Um, but I guess, you know, again, I, I guess I would be interested in hearing you guys interact with that. But to me, there is a, there is definitely an element of, of study, an element of, of experientialism, of experiencing faith, um, of studying and knowing faith, of observing the world around me and letting that interact with my faith that I think is very, very important to me. But a, but a big part of it is, um, is continued growth, right? It's continued growth in, in relation to conversations I have with people, but also in relation to the study that I have. So this idea of this, um, uh, one truth that, that I just then hold on to for my whole life that doesn't really, I think, apply for most of, for most of it. There are clearly truths that we do hold on to though. Right. Um, so my question is how do Christ, how do Christians practice faith responsibly, responsibly and thoughtfully? Yeah. Well, I, one way to see it, at least for me to think in terms of faith and, and evidence, it's a little bit, Kind of like in the old days when we didn't have GPS, right? And you were trying to get somewhere and somebody gave you directions, right? And they say, okay, turn here, turn there. Then you get to this exit and you, whatever, take a right or left. So to begin the journey, you need to have some faith, right? That you're <laughs> going to get there. But then you start following the directions and if things are not really coming out the way that the, the person gave you the directions, you got to start thinking, uh, wait a second, uh, maybe mm. this is not really the right way to go. Uh, mm. And conversely, if you keep following the directions and everything seems to be working as intended, you still need to have faith because you haven't gotten there. You're not there, so you can't prove that the directions are right until you get to your final destination. So, hmm. you know, in a way, I really don't like to see things in that, you know, dichotomy that he presents where you either have faith or you have science. It's usually a mix. You, you have to have both because it, there are many times where you just have to trust. And in, as Christians, you know, we just have to trust God sometimes that, you know, this is going to work out and we have to be steadfast on our beliefs. But at the same time, even the Bible has examples where God 
ask people to change their point of view. And so, Any, anybody who's watching or listening to this should hold on to that analogy of GPS um, and, and, and the way that GPS kind of follow, you, you have to follow that. Are you guys there? Yeah. Okay, I think Eric might have frozen. Um, but I think that that analogy that he just brought out there, I think is a really, really, this, just a good one to keep in your mind about um, how you have to trust it initially, but then you have to continue trusting it, even though you base that trust on, on the progress that you're making and on kind of your observations of how it's describing the world around you. I think that's a really, really good analogy. No, I agree. I think uh, that's why he's a professor. Maybe he's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a he's clever guy. With those analogies, and so um, hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to jump back in. Um, yeah. Brent, did you? I, I guess I mean I think it's a pretty important question about how Christians practice faith um, responsibly and thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. um, do you have, Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I, I think uh, I think faith has evidence, you know, but, mm. you know, I think, I think faith without evidence, um, to the author's point, um, is dangerous. Um, and I think the Christian faith, obviously I'm biased, but I think the Christian faith gives the best evidence of God revealing himself to us through the mm. credibility of scripture, as well as obviously, most importantly, the incarnation of Christ, and the ultimate, um, you know, uh, the ultimate being the resurrection of Christ, um, and the evidence for that, um, because mm -hmm. that's, that's the uncertainty that we all have to face uh, uh, as far as dying. So, so you know, the, the credibility of Scripture and the credibility of the resurrection and the evidence that's for that, you know, I don't think it's blind faith. There's evidence to back that up. So. I think I, I, I love where you're going with that. I would also say, you know, you, I, I thought you were going to go with, with James on that as far as faith, faith, faith that works. Evidence, faith that works. Yeah. 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 So I think I, I love, but, uh, but actually I, I love the, the two sides of that coin faith without some historical perspective, which is kind of where you went the 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 historicity of our faith matters mm -hmm. that we can rely on the account that scripture gives um that that actually matters right and that's why it's important that we study it that's why we do have people who devote their lives to studying it but why christians also should know the story of scripture and should know the history of our faith right um that has teeth to it we should we should be knowledgeable about that we don't have to be like the the world's great leading experts but it should be something that we're knowledgeable about welcome back eric <laughs> um uh but i think the other the other side of that coin right is that there should be evidence even in our own lives that we point to right um evidence of of you know new life um in our in ourselves that we're able to kind of reference and and make allusion to in our discussion in our journeys yeah, I mean, I was thinking of that, you know, to, to your point, James says faith without works is dead, to your point of new life. And so how do I know I'm really a Christian? Not by epiphany, mm -hmm. uh, not by intuition. I know, and Scripture endorses this, I know I'm a Christian because, first of all, um, something's happened to me. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. 
old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Jesus uses the phrase uh, born again. Mm -hmm. Um, So something happened. And then to James' point, it's also echoed throughout other scripture, my life is now characterized by different things. It's characterized by trying to love God and trying to live for God and then trying to love uh, other people as well. And so the, the evidence that I really have faith is from something that's happened inside of me and something that's happening in my, in my life. And so it's not just an intuitive epiphany, uh, to borrow his phrase. It's, it's some type of evidence. And so I think Christian faith uh, has evidence uh, and demands evidence. Is, I guess, oh, well I said. I was going to say there's a sermon, there's a preachable point in there somehow, turn a phrase, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you got to it. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome back, Eric. I, I, um, I, I feel like I just want to mention to you, I was, I was telling people who are listening and watching that I, I, I love that illustration you give about GPS and about the idea of just trusting at the beginning of the journey, but then kind of, was it, is, it, uh, is it Reagan? Trust, but verify uh, as you go through the journey. Um, yeah. So I, I, trust, I but everybody else we check. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So let's uh, let's move along. I think a couple other really good good points and kind of like where where his his argument kind of ne- necessarily goes. I think with the way that he chooses to define uh, this faith method. Um, so I'll read this other quote here: A religious person employing the faith method can say science is arrogant. There are things science will never understand things about the unknowable that I know only by about by revelation. Um, Actually, his, his point saying that, sorry. Yeah. No, no, sorry. I, I thought you were done. Oh, that's, that's okay. I, I am. I was just trying to kind of summarize um, his, his idea there that, that people who employ the faith method can, can seek to kind of uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a phrase from Nietzsche which you know immediately you know is going to be dangerous this idea of god of the gaps right mm-hmm. where where things that i don't understand i'm going to plug god as an explanation into those things um so there's mysteries in the world that we can't explain there's some mysteries in the world that we can't explain and the things that we can't explain we'll just say god fills those places in <laughs> and the things that we can't explain we've explained god away and so god is relegated only to the gaps uh, which is a pretty dangerous philosophy um uh, but it's kind of where he's putting the faith method here that it explains things that science can't and, and, and never can. Um, my question to you guys is, is, uh, is, is the hope, obviously again, kind of, kind of baiting the question here, but the hope that religion offers to the world, the hope that faith offers to the world is not simply um, explaining things that are inexplicable. Right. No, no actually he, he has that little phrase at first where he says uh, science is arrogant. Uh, actually, that's a phrase by Einstein, who who said, uh, "Without faith, science is arrogant. But without science, faith can be ignorant." And so you, mm. have, I, I like that approach because it kind of tells you, you know, you need both, and they are not really competing methods like he tries to portray. They are addressing different parts of life and. Uh, Actually, the belief that science can approach all problems is already a faith statement. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. Because uh, there is no way you could even prove that. It's, it's actually 
it's actually the opposite. To, to begin any scientific inquiry or method or theory or something, you have to have some premises or axioms or things that you're gonna believe they are true, even if you don't have any proof. And, and there is really no way around that. Uh, so somewhat in science, the idea of faith is, is in there, mm. one way or another, even though you're not gonna hear that from many scientists. Uh, the word's a little bit it, of a faux pas. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it it is true. Um, yeah. So I I really don't buy into this dichotomy that he's trying to portray. But a, a lot of people do to try to put you know faith or Christianity uh, on us. You know, yeah, yeah. I love I love a quote here. I don't know, Brent, if you have something to add to this. I love this quote that I, that I I just have in my notes somewhere. But but this made me think of this from Bonhoeffer. Um, he writes us in, in the fact, if in the fact the frontiers of knowledge are being pushed further and further back, um, and that is bound to be the case always, then God is being pushed back with them uh, and therefore is continually in retreat. So if God is only in the things we don't understand, then as we begin to understand more, then God is continually in retreat. Um, he says, obviously, this is not the, this can't be the case. We are to find God in what we know, not in what we don't know. Um, I think that's, I mean, obviously, maybe I wouldn't build a theology on that. But I love that idea that God isn't just relegated to the realms of the mysterious, but that he's, he's to be found in, in, in the scientific exploration of creation, right? He's to be found in what we do know. Um, and I think that's a really important point as well. What, yeah, what do you think? Like, you go, know, go ahead. Or, 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 you know, aspects of, of you know, morals, ethics, hmm. uh, what are the right, the right thing to do? Uh, you know, so, sometimes, you know, you, I mean, I, and I don't mean to sound that, you know, for this to sound like unscientific, but uh, <laughs> sometimes you have to stick to your guns. I mean, sometimes, hmm. you know, you are doing the right thing even though the results that you're getting are not the ones that you hope for. If you, if, you know, think about parenting. I mean, parenting is all about doing the right thing, even though you are not getting the results that you hope for every time, right? I mean, if we parented based on what our kids react, we, we will be- never, ch never get them out of diapers. Right. <laughs> kids will still be in diapers, that's right. <laughs> So That's maybe, works, right? Keep them in diapers. <laughs> maybe, maybe I just, maybe I follow the scientific method more than I thought. And maybe that's, <laughs> that's, that's why I wanted to just stay in diapers. Purely scientific method. I was just, yeah, I'm just such a scientist. <laughs> Brent, are you in diapers right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm headed there fast. That's the, that's the hypothesis that I think we'll leave, we'll leave unexplored. <laughs> Um, I think I, I, there's a couple, there's a couple more points here, but I think we, we've kind of covered them pretty well. I'll just read this paragraph here. I think we all know kind of at this point where we stand on this question, um, where once again, he really just, and, and again, I think it's, it's unfair, I think to call out, uh, uh, forgive me, I forgot his name, uh, Dr. Sherman. It's unfair to call him out in this article, I think, because this is a dichotomy that we have accepted and by we, I mean society has accepted as kind of the argument, right? 
And I think oftentimes Christians walk into this where we kind of set ourselves up against, um, against a scientific practice or way of thinking um, where I think we truly need to be um, understanding that God is Lord of, over all of it. Um, so I'm not trying to hit him hard as much as just to say that I think this really is kind of defining or describing the place where we are in society. He says the culture wars these days aren't really a fight between the faith methods always. I'm sorry. Let me read this, start this again. The culture wars these days are really a fight between the faith methods always right and the scientific methods always trying to get it righter approaches. And he says, I'm betting on the scientific method. Um, the culture wars or are the fight between the faith method and the scientific method. Um, well, I, when I just, when I hear the word culture wars, I think of racism right now is the big, one of the big things going on. Scientific <laughs> method does not say anything about racism. Faith says racism is wrong. You know what I mean? I mean, how can you, uh, I don't know. I was just thinking, how could the scientific method even address that? In fact, the only time it's ever been tried was by Nazi Germany. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. right, right. So, I mean, I, I just, I, uh, to use this phrase, culture war, right there, I'm thinking, I, I would just say faith informs a little better than the scientific method would come to, to some of those ethical and moral issues, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think also there are all these like inner weavings in our society with like, faith, you know, churches, science, politics, culture wars. And I mean, it, it's really hard to untangle some of those things, you know, because of the different sides that people take sometimes. And, and sometimes when you're, you know, you, you, you know, sometimes you can't just take a side and take everybody, that, you know, with you. Sometimes you have to tease out things and say, you know, we're not, you know, making a, a, a you know, a, a cultural statement or a political statement, or a, this is simply a scientific statement or a mm. moral statement or a Christian statement. And, and I think you can, you can find people of faith and people on science, of science on various different sides of, of various divides of our society. And that mm. doesn't necessarily mean that that point of view belongs there just because some people there have it, you know, it's, hmm. it's, it's hard to tease all of those out. I think, especially today where it's, everything seems like mixed in, you know, I just feel like, I mean, to your point, I think our, our role in that as, as Christians, as people of faith um, is to be and to project um, thoughtfulness um, and, and, uh, knowing what we believe and why we believe it and being able to explore that and explain it, um, clearly, um, not making, not making any kind of exploration, um, I shouldn't say exploration, but any kind of, any kind of, um, uh, discussion or, 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 um, um, examination of, of creation around us that that shouldn't be our enemy right and and we should we should be able to embrace that kind of study we should be able to to, to celebrate that kind of pursuit and understand that's that's pursuing um, a better understanding of the Lord through understanding his creation I think we have like the stereotypical picture as as Christians of being anti so much 
things that are thoughtful <laughs> um, and academic in mind. And, and I don't know where necessarily where that stereotype comes from, but we, we, we have it. And I think we really need to make sure that we stand against it in the way that we act and in the way that we talk. Um, that is a false dichotomy, but we need to make sure that we, we display that it's a false dichotomy in the way that we behave and the way that we believe. Um, our faith must be, must be smart. It must be informed. It must be thoughtful. Um, and we, I think that's, that's kind of the way that we can show that this really is a false, a false argument. Yeah. If all I say is I believe what I believe and you can't tell me anything, we're walking right into this, right? Yeah. And I don't think that's even what the Bible teaches. Us. Certainly not. You see it so many places where, uh, you know, Paul says, you know, you have to be able to defend your faith and explain why you believe. I mean, just exactly what you just said. Yeah, I, was, I thought in the same verse, be, yeah, yeah, be prepared first. to give an answer for the hope that's inside of you. But how do you do it? You do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah. So I don't know where that's found. But, first Peter, uh, I looked Peter, it up. Yeah. Okay. I, I was right there with you guys. We're all on the same page. First Peter three. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, the last, I'll just, Unless you guys have one more thing, I, I'll just read one more paragraph here and then we can yep. final thoughts because I think his, his last thing really here, it is, it is heartbreaking, but he says, I encourage you, whoever's reading his article, to lower your tolerance for the anti-scientific, anti-adaptive, faith-based method. Do not let yourself be backed off by those who demand the freedom to insist on their proud, blind faith. <laughs> um, on the one hand, I think that's kind of heartbreaking. On the other hand, I think good. You know, we, we need to be able to sharpen our faith. We need to be able to give a reason for what we believe. And I would rather somebody actually ask me and, and call me out and say, all right, why do you believe that? Um, than me just say, don't, don't question me. I just, I get to believe whatever I believe. I would rather have that discussion. I would rather be able to have that discussion. Um, to me, that's, that's how we get to the truth of things for people. Um, so yeah, I guess, I'm kind of, I would welcome that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would agree with this statement. I would agree with yeah. the way he phrased it and his, his definition of faith being a blind thing. I would, I would, I would agree with it. Um, I would, I would challenge him a little if he, uh, you know, ever by some miracle comes across our podcast by saying, um, you know, to he's put himself spiritually speaking, in a predicament, because he's now uh, automatically, by coming up with that statement and that belief, kept God at arm's length. Mm -hmm. I mean, he can't even interact with God uh, uh, because, you know, he's, he's, he's safely kept God at arm's length, basically, so that he can't, that God can't even, you know, by his spirit engage him because He's already said no to that with that with that sort of perspective, and so on a personal level, that's kind of sad, you know. Because, yeah. um, and I think people people don't even understand they're doing that. Sometimes they've made decisions about whether it be science or the is there absolute truth, whatever it is, and they've made decisions. There's no such thing as absolute truth, and they believe that absolutely. By the way, <laughs> or there's no, there's, uh, you know, there, you know, you can only know things through science. They've, they've, they've just said basically, I'm leaving you at arm's length, God. You're, I'm not interacting with you. Um, which, on a spiritual perspective, that's just, just dangerous. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. One would say it's also vaguely anti-scientific. Yeah. You guys will probably know better than me, but I think that 
the, I think the term blind faith is not in the Bible. True. Yeah, other than the blind man who had faith, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I think we've probably gone on long enough. Um, Eric, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, very thank much for inviting me. Appreciated your wisdom and your humor, and also just good to see you, man. Yeah, nice uh, to see you. Yeah. yeah. We, we can get back to the action soon. Uh, <laughs> but we're doing, I have my, uh, my mom is, came from uh, Rhode Island, and so she has, we have to do a little couple of weeks quarantine here before we can think of branching out. We're leasing it out into the wild. Yeah. Right. Well, stay safe out there in, in the farm country. Okay. Um, Brent, thank you once again. Appreciate you. Um, nice to see you, Brent. Good yeah. to see you guys. And y'all, thank you so much for watching uh, episode eight. And I hope, hope you got something out of it. And, and if you take anything out, out of this episode, it's uh, get out there and play pickleball. So I, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about that. That wasn't it. That was something else. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all. And hopefully we'll see y'all next week. See you, see you guys.